we know that we are compelled by Christ to move beyond just these four walls as a church. And we want to be a church that continues to look beyond our walls with the love of Jesus to bless the socks off this community. And as a church, we feel led to be a church that is for the good of our city. Thank you, Bill. Hey, just out of curiosity, uh, by a show of hands, how many of you in the room were here since like, kind of like day one or year one of a sense history? Can you like look at, like just take a look at all the hands that are going up. I think it's really cool. Um, and I wanna, I wanna say to those of you who are here since the really beginning, thank you for your time and commitment and your heart that you poured into this place. Just watching um, someone like Ben Flyme, who's over here to my left, he was just walking through the auditorium this morning praying before you all got here. And I just see the level of commitment from some of our people and their heart is for you. Their heart is for you to flourish and grow. So thank you to those of you who raised your hands. Thank you for being here in the beginning. We appreciate all that you have done. It's a sacrifice that doesn't go unnoticed and we're really grateful for that. Um, I get to uh, jump into the Christmas story once again. And I've been thinking a lot about the Christmas story, and this is my 55th Christmas that I'm entering into. And you hear the story over and over again. And have you noticed that Christmas comes around every year? It's like, it just keeps on this cycle. And here we are again, it's Christmas, and we're going through some of the rituals and the experiences that we have and family dynamics and all the stuff that comes with it. But I, I've been spending a great deal of time in the last month thinking about like, what is Christmas? Like, what does it mean? What's the essence of it? What's it really about? And we talk about it in so many different ways and we have to come up with new ideas, creative, creative ideas, but I think the heart of the message of Christmas really is to heal the world through union. And if you think about what Christ did, he came into the world to heal our separate selves and to heal, heal our separate world and to bring in unity and union. And what we experience so much in our reality is separateness and splitness and Jesus personifies union. In the Gospel of John, his, his beginning prologue, he talks about how the eternal word, this word that existed outside of time and outside of our realm, made a decision, a conscious decision to leap down into human history. And I love that expression of leaping down. It was like, I can't resist stepping into the human existence and the human story. And so God, in God's eternal self, leaps down into human history and then shows up as Jesus again, once again, to, person to personify union. If you think about that personification of union, what Jesus embodied was spirit and matter coming together. How did the two exist together? Human and divine, like there's such a paradox to think about how does human and divine coexist together? And in Jesus, we see the how. We see Jesus coming down and healing our splitness and our separateness and so much of our reality and so much of our existence that we experience in this world is about separateness. And when we live in that separate space, many times we start to believe that we're separate from each other, we're separate from ourselves, we're separate from God and the world. And when that separateness becomes the defining narrative of our story, it can lead to anger and depression that so many of us experience because we know, we know that we are not created to experience separateness. So something deep down inside of us tells us we're not, we're not here to experience that. We're here to experience union where God literally takes the whole thing and puts it all together, human and divine and spirit and matter. 
And then inside of that reality of union, there's questions that come up in the human story so often. And the questions that we live with is like, what am I doing here? What's it all for? Like we wake up in the morning and go, okay, another day. How am I gonna navigate my way through this day? Where's it all headed? What's my role in this world? And many times we live with those deep questions. And one of my teachers said this years ago, and it has really stuck with me. And he says, I believe that all of this is a school, every bit of it. It's a school of love, actually. And every day, every mundane moment, every trip to the grocery store, every experience, every interaction that we have with human beings is a school. It's a school of love. Learning how to deal with the mundaneness of life, how to deal with the everydayness of life, how to experience union in separateness and splitness that we so often live with. And I think essentially this is what the Christmas message boils down to is how do we enter into this union with Christ and love with one another. That's my prologue for this morning as I think about the Christmas story. And what I wanna do is I wanna take us through a passage of scripture this morning out of Isaiah. And Isaiah speaks a, a prophetic utterance and Isaiah's utterance is as follows. And I want you to read along with me as we read Isaiah 40 verses three through five, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This comes out of a prophetic utterance. And these prophetic utterances that we read about in the biblical narrative, people like Isaiah and Jeremiah and John the Baptist, and I'm even gonna throw Mary in there, the mother of Jesus, because we're gonna see that her prophetic utterance is similar to the prophetic utterance we read about here in Isaiah, where these prophets are highway makers. They're space creators. They make room for everyone. And so what they do is they declare that the high places will be emptied out and the low places will be filled in. That pathways for everyone will be cleared out so that people have access to God and God to people, for people, and with one another. And so Mary's utterance, she's literally given the gift of the divine and says that this, this one that lives inside of you now will be the highway maker. And Mary has to make room in her body, in her physical body, to carry this human divine being inside of herself. And as she sits with this divine being inside of her container, inside of her own life, she then breaks into her own prophetic utterance even before Jesus comes into the world in its physical manifestation as Jesus the Christ is growing in Mary's body, she begins to sing a song. It's called her Magnificat, Mary's song. And listen to what she says in her own prophetic utterance. She says, he has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent away the rich empty. Again, she's a highway maker. She's speaking prophetically that this one, this highway maker is gonna empty out the high places and fill in the low places. That this is good news for the poor. They will be fed, they will be addressed. That this clearance is going to happen and we're gonna build a road where everybody can walk and experience roominess. 
And if we, as God's people, are going to participate in building highways for people and leveling the ground, we're going to have to participate in the removal of obstacles and learn how to make room for everyone. And that is a difficult thing to do because if we make room for everyone, that means everyone gets to show up and we're going to have to change. And there's great cost in creating space and making rooms like leveling the ground and moving obstacles out of the way so that people have access to God and God to people. We get to participate in that divine work. However, I'm afraid that religion and the religious systems of our society make it very difficult for people to have access to God. They are obstacle makers and creators. They come up with lists and requirements of things and checking off boxes. They fill the world and the narrative with what I call IABs, if, ands, and buts. And we can't be about making IABs. We can't create this narrative around like, if you do this, then this. And if this happens, and then this happens, and this is how it works, but, and there's always a but attached to it when you're operating in an IAB. And that eliminates, it creates obstacles for people. And what we do so often is we turn the religious thing that's supposed to be setting people free, and we put toll roads on the highways, don't we? And we create transactions. If you do this, then this. And there's all these IABs and toll roads that we've created on these highways. Good theology always keeps God free. And you would think that I wouldn't have to say that, but it always keeps God free. And what we do is we always want to tie God up and we want to put IABs and attach it to the whole system because this is what people who believe that they are separate actually create. We create more separateness in the world and division. And I think we desperately need prophetic voices in the world today. Prophetic voices that are declaring that the high places are being cleared out and the low places are being filled in and we're creating highways for people to actually have access to the divine and the divine to all people. But so often we're attaching these old ways and these old systems and many times these prophetic voices are not the voices that we think should be operating in the way that they're operating. They're many times out in the margins and they're outside of society and so we have a hard time hearing them. It's like one of my teachers said that prophets are always spitting into the wind. And it's no fun to be a prophetic voice and to spit into the wind and it just comes back into your face. Or as Walter Brueggemann says, that prophets are like people who speak an octave higher than the rest of us. They're singing an octave higher, so it's always difficult for us to hear that particular frequency because the frequency in which they sing is so different than what we're used to or accustomed to hearing. And I think it requires a pretty significant major deconstruction, a massive, a massive change of understanding and a significant conversion to let go of what was in order to step into the new. I want to read a poem that I think captures what I'm attempting to say this morning. This comes from Neil Donald Walsh. And he says, yearning for a new way will not produce it. Only ending the old way can do that. You cannot hold on to the old all the while declaring that you want something new. The old will defy the new. The old will deny the new. The old will decry the new. There is only one way to bring in the new. You must make room for it. And I'm afraid 
that there always has to be some kind of major falling apart in order for the new to come in. It's how it works. And I also know that the power of inertia is great. When we think about all the changes that we've experienced in the last couple of years, even in our society, in our culture, through COVID and the breaking down of systems and how things literally shut down. And that power of inertia to always go back to what was. We wanna go back because it's what we know. And so that major falling apart is very difficult for people because it's like, well, I don't know about the new. I'm not even sure I'm gonna like the new. Right, you can't control the new. How am I gonna step into this new? And one of the major obstacles that I see that lives inside of religion and politics and the world that we experience in the here and now is what the AA, AA group calls contempt before evaluation. And so often what we do is we step into things with contempt before evaluation or contempt before curiosity, and we've already made conclusions about what these people are like. We've predetermined who the good guys are and who the bad guys are. We've predetermined the people that are allowed to come through. The refugees can't come through. The poor can't come through. People of color can't come through. There's always a reason because highways are very difficult to build, especially highways that are free and open for all to enter in. Can you imagine building a highway where we have to allow them to the party and how we always wanna keep them away from the party, we live in a very transactional society in which it's all quid pro quo. It's about who deserves it and who doesn't deserves it. You did this much, you deserve this much. You did this much bad, you deserve this much bad. Everything that we do in this world is measured and weighed and counted. It's how Wall Street works, it's how politics works, it's how religion works. Measured, weighed, counted. And it requires a major deconstruction to move out of that. And I'm afraid that in order to move out of that, again, it takes something falling apart. And I know people who have been in church their entire lives who never move out of this model. This is what I call the model of meritocracy, where it's all merit-based. And this whole idea of meritocracy, we live and we're kind of submerged in a meritocratic society in which these people deserve this and these people deserve this. And it's all based around what is called retributive justice. We very much like the idea of retributive justice because it keeps us in control. We're, we're addicted to the idea of punitive justice or retributive justice, that these people deserve this and these people deserve this based on merit. And so we're just completely saturated in this meritocracy. But what if the new way of Jesus, what if the way where Mary made room for the highway maker to come in was all about restorative justice? And I think restorative justice is what the Bible is pointing us to, the big story of God. I mean, if you listen to the prophets of old and you hear them talking to Israel, they're always reaming Israel out. It really is quite, quite disturbing, isn't it? You read it and you would think these Israelites, they don't get it. And it seems like they're just painting this picture of God's just gonna dust you. But if you stay with it and you move outside of that retributive justice frame and you stay with the story of God, there's always restorative justice in the end that I'm gonna love them anyways, that I'm gonna do generosity anyways, that I'm going to enter into the story anyways. I'm going to make sure that I outlove them 
to the point where they have to change because they can't resist the love that I'm putting out to them? What if this is the new way? What if this is the highway, the highway of restorative justice? Because if you listen to the stories of old and the stories now and the stories to come, they're always pointing us to restoration, restoration, staying with these people to the point where you see the restorative nature of God coming back into the story. It's one of the things I love about Christmas shop that we do here. When I see these families coming in, the temptation that many of us will face sometimes is like, well, who are these families and do they deserve to come in and get a free gift? Are you kidding me? Contempt before evaluation? To sit with these folks who are coming in, to hear their stories, to understand, you know what? I don't know what reason they're coming in. I don't know their motive, but I don't get to determine what their motives are. We are here to love people, period. That's our posture. So we want, we want to be a restorative community that practices restorative justice, to love people out of their evil. Can you imagine a message like that in politics? Nobody would vote for you. A message like that in the church, hmm, would people still come? I mean, it's what we want. It's what we want, but I think it's hard to believe because we love the idea of punitive justice because at least with punitive justice, I can determine who's in and who's out. I get to decide. And we call it, we call it order. But like my friend Quincy reminded me, it's not order, it's actually control. We want order in the chaos, but we still want to keep some level of control and restorative justice to love people out of their evil. Are you kidding me? It's like, what if it doesn't work? Well, Yahweh doesn't seem interested in whether it works or not. Yahweh seems interested in loving people regardless of why they come or what their motivation is. And it's like Lauren reminding me this week, do it anyways, just do it. Love them, give, be generous. You're not here to show contempt for evaluation. You're here to be curious. You're here to enter into relationship with actual living people and clearing out the highways and saying, everyone's welcome, come on in. We want you to connect to the heart of Jesus. And we wanna show you what that looks like through our own generosity and through our own love and through our own lives. We want our lives to be a reflective space of restoration and not this punitive model that we so often get attached to and that our precious little egos can't even entertain the idea of letting go of our opinions. We are so attached to our opinions. We wanna be safe, we wanna be certain, we wanna be in control. But this whole idea of restorative justice, oh my friends, you're just wasting your energy spitting into the wind, actually loving people, do it anyway. It's like the great spiritual mothers and fathers that have gone before us and they've said this countless times over and over again, and I want you to catch this. If you do understand God or God's logic or God's ways, then you know your God is not God. If you understand it, would you respect a God that you understood? This mysterious God who enters into time and space bringing both spirit and matter together, human and divine, will always be bigger than our minds and our hearts are ready for. Can we admit that? Making space. This is the practice of, of making room for the divine to come in. And I wanna do something this morning. I, I wanna step into a bit of a practice where we can create some space together. And there's an artist named Scott Erickson who wrote a book called Honest Advent. He's referred to as Scott the Painter. 
And he's got beautiful imagery around the Christmas story. And I want to read some excerpts from Scott that I think will be helpful for us as we step into this practice and being careful not to assume that we know what people's motives are before they come into the room. That we are a people that are not making assumptions, but we're remaining curious and open with a posture of do it anyways. You might be looking for God in wrong places because you assume that God shows up in a certain way and God's like, you can't put me in a box. And when we look at people's lives, please do yourself a favor and do not operate under the assumption that God is not at work in that person's life too. Even though they might be acting ridiculous, God is at work in their life. God is at work in your life. God is at work in everyone's life in this room. We're all at different places in different spaces, but can we trust that God is at work in every human being that we come into contact with? Let's sit with this. This morning, as we look at the imagery, the first image of Mary making space for the divine. Listen carefully. It is assumed that Mary rode in on a donkey. The Bible doesn't say that she did. It is assumed that there was an innkeeper, but it doesn't mention one anywhere. It is assumed that there were three magi, but it doesn't give us a number of those who showed up. It's assumed that Jesus was born in a stable, but it, all it says is that he was laid in a manger, and that could have been in any number of places. Christmas comes with many assumptions, some helpful, some not so much. Spirituality comes with many assumptions, and the ones that fail us are the ones that we make about what it's supposed to look like, who is worthy for it to happen to, and what kind of outcome is supposed to have for us. Assumptions like this, my friends, you should be more than you are now to be pleasing to God. Your weaknesses are in the way of God's plan for your life. Your lack of religious excitement disqualifies you from divine participation. You're probably not doing it right. And that's good news. Other spiritual people have something that you don't have. Our assumptions hinder our spiritual journey in all kinds of ways. And the antidote to assumption is surprise. The surprise of Christ's incarnation is that it happened in Mary's day, as it's happening every day in your lack of resources, your overcrowded lodging, your unlit night sky, your humble surroundings. It's a surprise that life can come through barren places. It's a surprise that meek nobodies can partake in divine plans. It's a surprise that messengers are all sent along the journey, hidden journey of life to let you know that you are not alone. It's a surprise that you will be given everything you need to accomplish what you've been asked to do. It's a surprise that nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing can separate you from love. Your assumptions believe there must be something that can, but surprise, Nothing can. 
Our assumptions hinder our spiritual journey in all kinds of ways. And the antidote to assumption is surprise. May you thank God with joyful surprise at how much you have assumed incorrectly. That's good news. Let's take a moment sitting with our assumptions, laying them down at the feet of Christ, this incarnate word that lives and breathes in every one of us and in this space and in this world and universe. And inviting this Christ to teach us, lead us in this school of love, actually, how to make space for everyone. That's the heart of the message of Christmas. Everyone is welcome. Holy Spirit, forgive us in ways in which we have added toll roads, IABs, obstacles, attaching ifs, ands, and buts to the story when you're like, just clear it out, let everybody come in all their mess and complication and in your attempt to create order out of the chaos, can we admit that we just simply want to control the narrative? Help us to be a people that don't lead with assumptions, but lead with curiosity and surprise us. Surprise us for what's ahead. Holy Spirit, you lead. We will follow. Amen.